You're listening to Find the Outside the Podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. And this week on the podcast, I have invited us to talk about kind of like labels and how they can act as great accesses into change, right? But how at some point they also become limiting in terms of how we might want to grow. Mm. And uh, and really coming at this from like a very personal experience of of kind of like in my own therapy and my own change process, but also kind of extrapolating that into um, how we often bring in language and theories and models into our change work and realizing that they're often great access points, but when people become too attached to them, they become obstacles, you know? Mm-hmm. And so shall I just dive in, Choose, or do I you want to think... say anything else before we open? Shall I just... Um. Well, I mean, maybe what I would say is, you know, you kind of dropped us a text about, I think this would be a great podcast and I could immediately see, right, why we would want to have this conversation. So while it starts out, I think quite personal, like it was a personal insight you had for me, Mm. the understanding of how it both applies to me personally, but also our work was just immediate. So that's part of why we're bringing it. Just dive in. Yeah, brilliant. So this quite literally came out of uh, some some therapy work I'm doing, you know, uh, essentially around the whole boarding school and um, boarding school survivors work. Um, and then obviously it becomes more than that. It becomes kind of like you're getting into your life as a whole. But uh, the, the therapist who I was working with just like really challenged me because, you know, a lot of what's been helpful for me over many years has been able to like label and identify um, things like anxiety, depression, mental health, like those have been like really helpful descriptors for me that have allowed me to realize that things I thought I just had to live with, mm-hmm. you know, were something I could get to grips with. Mm. They were actually like they validated experiences that I've had day to day, you know, yeah. you know, developmental trauma, right? Like, like, like there was a language to describe my experience. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Trauma, abandonment, and privilege as a package, these labeling of things to actually give me language and access and validation and credibility to talk about things that in many ways I've just dismissed as, um, uh, weaknesses or me being broken or invalid mm-hmm. parts ah, of my okay. experience as a person. And so like being able to have these labels, gave me a way to like talk about these things and help. And I'm like, oh my God, they're a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. It's real. I'm not just a nutcase. You should keep really quiet about these things in right. case people are like, you are weird, you know, <laughs> and I can't talk to you anymore. Right. You know, yeah. um, uh, and especially some of the volatility of this stuff when you talk about it being couched in privilege. And we've talked about that before. So, so I think that's like, a, so that's been really useful for me. And then, and then the other day that the therapist I'm working with challenged me, you know, mm. and said, you know, he feels like a lot of these labels, you know, I feel like they're actually kind of limiting for you now, you mm. know, because they're used as descript, you're using them as like as descriptors to validate, like being broken. Whoa. You, you know what I mean? And right. I was like, but wait, they've been really helpful for me in terms of stepping into my healing journey. Mm-hmm. And do, do you know what I mean? So we had this whole conversation mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, I get that. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, but you've, but you've got to acknowledge actually that like any living system has like expansion and contraction embedded mm. into it, you know, and the more you become attached to it being anxiety or 
depression or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you know, this is my traumatic response in coming up yeah. and I'm triggered, you know, actually that can become an obstacle to you just becoming acclimatized to what are your natural rhythms and how you work and organize yourself mm-hmm. and your life around them, you know, mm-hmm. but, and, and so that the labels in some ways, some ways, although they're great ways to like enter your own journey and build an analysis and understanding of yourself, they can actually be obstacles to you growing over time and learning to live with yourself. Right. And so that feels like an important edge of a realization for me. And something that like, when I came off the call, I was like, I want to talk to my buddy Tuesday about that. And so now we're doing it really publicly on a podcast, weirdly enough. Anyway, so that's what we're doing. Um, And of course, also being me, I immediately take, take extrapolate that into our work world where obviously we're often providing analysis for people you know, and we're providing theory and mental models that help people understand the circumstances they're faced with. Um, uh, But they also run out of steam, you know, whether that be some of the analysis we might bring around equity, even choose, you know, Mm -hmm. as much as the analysis of how large scale systems change happens with the model of two loops or the U theory or chaotic lenses or whatever else it might be being as the models we bring. And so I think that the kind of like the kind of like personal epiphany and then the traveling of that into our workplace made it feel like something that would be really ripe to bring into the podcast and bring into our conversations because you know our podcast holds that extreme doesn't it it holds that sense of both personal journey but systemic change in the world so there you go that's mm-hmm. my setup great nice so and i've already i put down i wrote down a few i things. saw you grab a pen and start <laughs> taking notes i yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Well, it just it um it just a lot of things are popping for me as you say that. One is that that sense of um you talked about how does labeling kind of automatically put um words on what is a natural rhythm of your body or yourself. And I was thinking, of course, I remember when I was trained to be a clinical social worker and we would look, you know, you could look at the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, right? You could look at that and like everyone was like, I got that, I got that, I got that, I got that, right? Like Because they're actually just somewhat, I don't even say extreme, but they're just kind of somewhat extreme versions of what all of us have, right? Mm -hmm. I mean- Mm-hmm. I wish you'd say like I looked at it and I had everything except for schizophrenia, right? Like I'm like, I don't have schizophrenia because I don't have hallucinations or delusions. But I was like, wait a second. How do I know if I don't? Because you don't know if you do, right? <laughs> so maybe I had it all. But I just like to that to to, to that point you made, right? Um, especially with 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 mental health or even a lot of things we get attached to. It's like it actually is just maybe a a um more intense manifestation of what actually just happens for people. So I just like that's I think that that's really useful. And and like how do we hold both that piece of like yes, a million times when you are when you are alone with an experience of discomfort or distress and you realize that there is a name for it. You realize you're not the only person who ex- like there's you're so much not the only person that has experienced it that there's actually a name for it, right? Like that there's is a whole body of research around right? it. There's, I mean, it's yeah. like, oh. I mean, yeah. that's super, super helpful. And is often, I think, kind of that first step to, to moving 
out of that distress or that discomfort is actually labeling. I see this all of the time. It's, I think it's why post-traumatic stress disorder is such a powerful label because it says, mm. yes, what happened to you is real. Yes, it's traumatic. And yes, these are expectable and normal responses to that kind of trauma, there which is yeah. like hugely liberating. It's right? a relief. It's hugely yeah. liberating. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, anything can be like just pulled too far. If I only become my PTSD, <laughs> right, then I've lost all sorts of the rest of me. And so I was thinking very specifically the first time um, I saw a label, like my own, I just would, wanted to share like my own trajectory from understanding a label as kind of key to empowerment and liberation and then just seeing how it was uh, closing down. Like one of the places is, you know, I used to work in domestic violence and we used to talk about um, when when um, women would come in, and that's who we worked with primarily at that point, and we're talking 20 plus years ago, we worked with primarily cisgendered women who were battered by cisgendered men. Um, and so when women would come in, we would talk about, I mean, obviously you've been victimized by something, but you're a survivor of domestic violence. And just that movement from victim to survivor was huge. It was just a huge thing for folks to be like, oh, I survived something. Right. I'm still here. I'm still standing. We don't all survive. Right. And so that that was just um, incredibly liberating, I think, for the clients that we worked with. I think it was incredibly liberating for those of us who worked with them. We didn't have to see them as a victim. We could see them as a survivor. Um, but then, of course, you know, and I, I, I think I actually just talked about this in our last podcast. So it's not actually something that comes up for me a lot. I don't have a lot of a, emotion around it, but I just want to say. And then I, I think I've begun to see even that field begin to somehow calcify survivor. Like it's the thing you are for the rest of your life. You never get over it. You're just this thing. It's just so essentializing rather than seeing the whole person. And so I, I feel like I could, I could see that um, in this field of work, a, a label that was so welcomed and so beneficial I think can become calcified and hard and, um, and then become small. And so I want to, if you don't mind, I'll give a personal example of just that particular, um, that'd be great. Um, and I, and I think I can see it in the field cause that's what I worked in. But I think I also really took up that label when in my early twenties, I realized that I was a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Like that survival labor was label was so important. It was just, yeah, I that happened. It's real. I made it through. I'm on the other side. I have this life. I built my whole career around it, right? Like I worked with trauma survivors. I was really good at it because I'd had that experience. Then I went into systems change around it. And of course, I had passion around it because I'd had this experience. But in some ways, my whole life began to be built around this identity. And then when I left that field, it was really hard right? Like, oh, who am I now? But more importantly, even though, I mean, because I think I worked through that bit of existential angst and you can be a survivor in any place, whatever. But what I wanted to say is then I went to, you know, I think I worked it out. Like I can, I can be a survivor. I think you may have just like, you know, taken what was a pretty significant moment and, you know, maybe, you know. <laughs> But I, you know, I mean, I, I feel like, oh, yeah. I could be a consultant in a number of ways and still be a survivor and, you know, all yeah, those things. Yeah, yeah, and, um, but then I actually had this moment at um, Otto Sharmer's presencing workshop. I know I've told you about this, but it was so this, mm. the presencing workshop used to be quite different than it is now. It was like 25 of us going through five days of intense work. And I had this moment where we were, we were moving around a board and 
kind of talking about our future. And I had a moment of pure presence. And that's the only way to say it. And it was like this, it was a a voice. I'm not going to make the obvious joke, but like a, a voice kind of inside of me saying, who you are will always inform, but it will not be who you will be. And I knew that in like that for me was, it was so clear to me who you are, survivor will inform, but it will not be who you become. And so it was just, I I, like, I shed that label in like five seconds, five seconds. I just shed the label. And of course that's still true about me, but it doesn't run my life. I think in the way that it, even when it ran my life in a beautiful way, right? I was contributing to my community. I was um, doing great work. I was feeling great about myself. I think that that was the first time I realized that shedding a label, no matter how beautiful that label is, can actually lead to even more liberation. And maybe it's developmental, right? Like maybe we need that for a time and then we move away from it. But there is something, especially right now, around wanting to hold tight. I think with so much uncertainty, we're wanting to hold tight to so many labels and so many descriptors um, that I think, yeah, I want to say, yeah, do that. Label what you are, but don't hold it too tight because boy, in, in a moment it can become, it can move from your liberation to your cage. Mm. So first of all, thank you. Mm just for sharing some of your own personal story there. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the other thing I'd like you very specifically and deliberately have used the word liberation mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I've just heard you using that. And so uh, before we, cause I've, before we move it on, I just would like, just want to invite you to speak a little bit to that, you know, like you're, you're pointing at something and you're using a word to describe something. And uh, can you just take us behind the veil of what you're, what you mean by that? what you're pointing at sure i can try yeah um yeah because it's such a you know sometimes you use these words that are so like they have such a such a meaning for you so how do i um how do i articulate that well so liberation for me it's like the freedom to be all of who you are um Mm. the freedom to um have the life you want or to try to create the life you want um and I'm actually talking about personal liberation. Like I, there's collective liberation. There's collective liberations of our people when we work in anti-oppression work and when we work in equity to change structure, that's collective liberation work. It's like freeing all of us from these structures that would have us be less than all that we can be, right? So that's collective liberation. And I think personal liberation is like freeing yourself from all the structures. I mean, yes, there's some outside, but there are awful lot inside. Um, and sometimes those places of comfort or refuge become those places where actually we, we need to be liberated from. So I think it's actually, yeah. So I would say when I'm talking about liberation, I'm actually talking about the freedom to be every single bit of who you are in this world. Right. I really, I mean, I just, uh, I really resonate with what you're saying about that ability to like, you know, have these labels, but also be able to shed them like that Mm -hmm. and, and, and the liberation that comes with that, you know? And then I think about some of the labels we use when we work with folks around systems change, you know, mm-hmm. when we like, like the, the kind of incredible epiphany that happens so often when we introduce the idea of hospicing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we introduce this label of like, there's actually a role in change 
which is about helping things die with dignity, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whether that be beliefs, whether that be dysfunctional processes or policy, whether that be stewarding people into retirement, whether that be helping mm-hmm. people shift locations, whether that be, you know, but there's actually a real role of like, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's like palliative care <laughs> embedded in, in change work, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, uh, um, and, and that that's something that has to be done with great care and great attention. And it's an essential ingredient because if we aren't doing good kind of like hospicing work within our change, within our change processes, mm-hmm. what happens is all the toxicity that builds up when things are collapsing and falling apart ends up pouring into the new system, whatever we yeah. build, you know? Yeah. So there's a really important role there around hospicing and detoxifying and like enabling many of the current dysfunctional systems to be bearable, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to keep the doors open, to give us time to build viable alternatives, right? And so I just... And, um, you know, we'll talk about the, we'll talk about a role of trailblazer of people who are out there, like against the odds, like mm-hmm. designing something either because circumstances force it or because their privilege and view allow it. Right. But the, so we've got these labels that we often put out there very early on in our work, you know, and like having this con- this pers- quite personal conversation with you now also makes me want to wonder like how some of the theory we bring in, some of the models we bring in that give people just enough comfort to enter mm-hmm. into our kind of processes. Mm-hmm. At what point they become limiting, you know, when yeah, go on. Because Sorry, it's no, I think that's exact. No, I just got excited because just yesterday, just yesterday, I was talking to a colleague of ours and um, and she was recently heard the two loops in a different way. And 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 uh, it was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, they kind of like found it. I'm a trailblazer. That's why I don't fit. Right. Like that's like all the things you all describe. Like that's why I don't fit. And as we were talking, she was just like, so, yeah. I'm a trailblazer. I don't even want to participate in that dying system. I'm not interested in it. I'm going to do my own way. Blah, blah. You know, it was great. It was beautiful. But what it, even in that small space of time of identifying herself as a trailblazer who was creating the new system, what had begun to happen was she was becoming unable to see how she could be in working relationship with people in the dying system just right. by that label. So, you know, we just talked to, I mean, it was just like, she's like, no, I'm of the, I'm not interested in that dying system. I'm not going to work there. Right. And that might sound great, but actually what it, what it does was it was hindering her work and it was hindering her relationships just in a very small space of time. And so then when we Mm. talked about, you know, perhaps you're doing some of the same activities, but your view is different. Your perspective is different. Right. But you might still. Your beliefs and assumptions. Right. But you're still doing some of the same activity you would have done, right? And that's where you can maybe connect with some of these folks in the dying system that now we have some judgment for because we're 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 a trailblazer, right? But it was just like, it was just such a clear indication that while there was great comfort in that label, it was absolutely keeping her from doing specific work, just from doing work. Right, right. It's interesting. I mean, it's fascinating for me that like these, these... you know, because you talk about shedding the label as a liberation, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would talk as me personally, I would talk about finding the yeah. label as a liberation. Mm-hmm. I do like, mm-hmm. like, like to, to realize that 
like boarding school survivors yeah there's a whole study into the psychological impacts of being raised within my class right Mm -hmm. and the resulting wounded leaders that we have in place like that that's actually like a field yeah you know like just massively like it was like oh my god you know like all of these Mm -hmm. fragmented experiences became whole a hundred percent and so i think there's something so so there, there there is something about that um uh, that almost like there's stages of liberation mm-hmm. here. Like you were just pointing at almost like this evolution that takes place over time. Go on. Well, I wonder, I mean, and I don't know, again, we're just having a conversation. I wonder if it's stages, because that's how I was thinking about like developmentally, like you're having an experience. The next, you know, stage is like to to own, to truly own and inhabit that experience. And then the next stage would be to kind of shed that experience with all of its lessons and all of its goodness, right? And then move into the next, probably the next label, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like yeah, yeah, maybe it's yeah, actually maybe. like moving to the next label. But as you were just talking, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's more like when we talk about the chaotic path or working with paradoxes, maybe it's actually an undulation back and forth, right? And so like the path is to liberation and sometimes it's calcifying into a label and sometimes it's letting it go. And then we find the next label and then we let it go. Like maybe it's less like stage one, stage two, stage three as an oscillation kind of between. Um, it just occurred to me as you said that, I'm like, because I think it's it's probably not possible. Humans, we have a deep need for belonging. Yeah. And so- Maybe like we'll always be looking for the next kind of group or name or label. Right. And the danger, which you're pointing out, is that you end up you end up like exacerbating the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. By by like fragmenting the parts. So if we kind of continue to work with us, like so you've got trailblazers who are building the new system against the odds, getting it mm-hmm. done. And you've got hospices who are keeping doors open, mm-hmm. you know, and helping things die with dignity, mm-hmm. you know, and like, but there's, but when those two things end up in conflict with each other, mm-hmm. right. Out of relationship with each other, the kind of theory we work with says suffering increases, right? fragmentation increases, right. you know? So I think like there is this real danger with these labels that we kind of like find solace within or liberation within mm-hmm. is that actually they, uh, they end up also isolating us, you know? And, and that seems to be like a pretty dominant pattern right now, whether it's Polina, we're coming into elections here in Canada, right. you know? And like, you know, these people like, just like, like falling into political party labels, do you know what I mean? Like, and, you know, or even within our, in our, in our community, when we're talking about uh, what's right and wrong in terms of the development of the town targeting certain age groups and populations, like, is this a retirement town? Is it, mm-hmm. is it like a young person, small families town? Like what's our central identity, you know, and we have to be one. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so there's something about like that, like the, the kind of dark side of that need for, for belonging. Oh yeah, tribalism, right? right? <laughs> that that feels like yeah, that feels right at the root of many of the fundamental challenges we find ourselves working with when we're doing systems change, which is that relationships have broken down. People have fallen into into in, into a feeling of rightness that makes them unavailable to anybody else. <laughs> right? Like one hundred percent. I feel like that's. I mean, like that. Tim, it feels like that's so much of what we're working with all of the time. No, I'm at HQ. No, I'm in the field. No, I'm, you know, I'm part of the sports system. No, I'm not. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a client. I'm a practitioner. It feels like some of those like. Uh, 
I've been included in the change process. I haven't been right. included in the change process. I was on the core team of this. I wasn't on the core right. team. Uh, you know. And and I think you're right that I mean I feel and I don't know that this is the case, right? I've only been alive when I'm alive. Right. You know what I mean? Like so I feel like people are like, "Oh, this is the worst for." I'm like, "Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know." Right? You know what I mean? Like I wasn't alive to experience this other other times of history. But it does feel like we're we're in some ways contracting back into some of our core identities, which might be beautiful. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually come into our core identities with a sense of fullness and uh, beauty and then move from there going forward together, right? Rather than, no, I'm this. So I'm, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be theoretical, but I mean, um, there's this term identity politics. And I don't know that I don't actually quite understand the term, but I think what it's pointing to is sometimes these issues of our identity, race or gender become what we're all about as if we are not multifaceted. And I, you know, like I worked in the women's movement for years. Like I, th there's nothing about me that doesn't see a uh, reason for that space and knows that like we need, you know, like gender justice is real. Women need spaces that are theirs. You know, there's no part of me that, that rejects any of that at all. And, um, and are there places where that is too calcified and too rigid? And I would, I would suggest that yes. And I, you know, I would suggest that there are places that like, that's why it's, it can be hard for trans women to enter those spaces because we've got, we've got such an idea of what gender means. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's a, it's, it's like helpful to find our people. But the problem is, is then when we only turn inward toward our people, right. And not like, oh no, this is who I am. And I'm going to go forward, um, kind of still with other groups. I, I, I don't feel like I'm being very clear, but there's some essentializing of ourselves that we're doing that I can feel in my body and I can see in our work does a disservice to moving everyone forward. Now I, there's no you know, we've talked about this a million times. We're not saying, oh, we're all just human. Let's just link arms and go forward. No, these differences are incredibly important and we need to know them. We need to inhabit them and inhabit them deeply. And we still need to, it's, it's almost like being able to hold both. And so I wonder about this label piece, if it's like, if the problem is the label or not, or if the problem is how tightly we hold to it. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I just feel like, um, uh, I'd like to spend the last kind of like two, three minutes with each of us just talking about what we think the practical implications are of what we're great. talking about. Great. I'd love to do that great. because I feel like a lot of what we do choose, you, you know, just as friends and colleagues is like, like touch on what are very fundamental beliefs that underpin and underlie our work. Mm -hmm. And like being in those conversations with each other is what allows us to very concretely design cutting edge work in the room with our clients mm -hmm. and with our partners, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, it's, it's absolutely, I mean, the kind of conversation our listeners have got to witness today is the kind of conversations we have with each other when we're sitting on sofas, having a cup of tea and chatting, you know, though you're not drinking tea because you don't like hot drinks, <laughs> but like, but so, so, um, but so it's just like, it's just, I just want to be like, like, this is like, you know, and it's not that it's resolved. Right. But like, but we're touching on something I think that has like practical implications in terms of how we deliver our work directly on the ground with our clients. And so I'll stop talking, but just like to invite you to think of a little bit about that as maybe just by way of closing or bringing together the podcast and we can move into the music and the plan. Yeah, I love that. I love that question because it actually feels like it informs so much of our work. And I think that um, 
uh, it's this idea of seeking multiplicity that we work with a lot. It's like, I think we try to invite the whole person into the room. And so we invite you with all of the labels that you bring. And then I think we challenge you to be that and more. So things like getting people to do, I mean, just practically things like sensing interviews where they will maybe choose someone because of a label. Oh, they're from this region or, oh, we need more black folks or, oh, we need to have somebody in hockey or, oh, right. Some of these labels that you would automatically have. And then we go into sensing interviews. It lets you, uh, or lets the people we work with see that person as that and more. And maybe has that person see themselves as that and more. And so inviting in multiplicity, because very practically, when we are speaking from the place of a label, we can only give a very narrow perspective, right? When we are speaking from more of ourselves, an expanded version of ourselves that actually takes into consideration multiple labels, um, we can give much better input to a process, we can maybe even feel much more ownership of a process, but the process itself will be much more informed. And so this idea of seeking multiplicity, allowing people to bring all of themselves, all of their labels, and then maybe shed some too, right? Yeah. Well, that's where I was going to go. Yeah. So that our work isn't, uh, isn't bounded by how I think I should be as this kind of person. Or how I speak when I'm speaking with this this label hat on, right? It's almost like inviting people to take their hats off and speak from from what else is there. Um, I think we get better information. I think we get better action, and I think we get better relationships so that people can sustain that action. That's how I would say it impacts practically. Love what it. would you say? Well, I just think it's a very I, I, yes, just like yes, 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 and and I feel like um, we do a lot of very specific design around people's personal journey. Mm-hmm. Like when we're working with groups of people, like we're designing for people to like step into labels, mm-hmm. like own things that they would not have yeah. owned. But we're also designing for them to let go of them later in the process. Like like we're, we're I feel like we're often very deliberately designing around that. And I've now got like a fresher understanding about mm. a way of kind of thinking about that. That's really helpful for me. Um, but I feel like we're also doing that organizationally, like, like a good, yeah. like a really significant part yeah. of the work we do is helping people understand and find names for the circumstances that they're facing to build an analysis, you know, but what we're trying not to do is for them to get attached to that analysis. It's like you're building, you're getting just enough analysis so that you can take, then start taking actions that will demand that you need to let go of everything you thought you knew from the situation analysis we just did six months ago. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like what we're asking people to do personally is very, very similar to what we're asking people to do strategically in terms of our design processes and beginning to kind of understand that in the way we've been talking about it today. It's just like, this is naturally how things happen. This is actually normal, uh, allows us to make it okay for people, you know? And so I think that, I think it's a real, I think it's a next level of understanding for me on kind of like how we design both the personal track, but also the longer term strategic track. And then also our ability to be able to um, prepare people for that, articulate that for people and help, help people identify. Yeah, but you told us one thing six months ago and now you're saying something right. else. And we're like, yeah, that's actually completely normal. That's okay, you know, and that's what this and actually this process that we're doing with you is designed to do exactly that. 
it's designed to do exactly that you know so I, uh, that's that's what i'm i've got i love it i love it i think that's so mm-hmm. smart and i think it's so smart and i like i like it i mean for me it's like it's just showing how it's at all these levels right and yeah. i just be really curious you know some sometimes i wish like I mean, I love these conversations between the two of us, but like sometimes I want to be like, you're if you're in your car right now, like what are the labels like that you used to hold so tightly that you don't anymore? And how is it impacting right. you? And how does it impact your work? And how does it impact your life? Because we can all find them, right? There's places where we mm. once found comfort that now aren't. And it's not that, and I also want to be clear, it's not that having those labels and finding refuge in them is wrong, right? It's not like, oh, I just outgrew that and now I'm totally beyond that, right? Like that's not the case. Some of them you might have outgrown, but some of them are just like more in the background. So. Yeah, I'm like torn between two poems, both kind of like come out of my private school education, both of the poems. But one of them is one I found particularly beautiful as a young man reading it. And I still to this day, I don't understand. I mean, maybe I do. I just find it beautiful. And then the other one is a poem that was like really strong in my school and is like, you know, it's one of the labels you had to live with. Like this poem is like an articulation of one of those mm. labels. So I'll do that one. Yeah. Okay. I can't read the beautiful one. Anyway, so I'll do this one, but I just want it to be clear. Like I'm not reading this because I love the poem or the poetry, to be honest. I want, uh, like I'm, I'm reading this mm. to like, be like, uh-huh. this is part of what this, what you're hearing is part of the label that was indoctrinated into us, beaten into us in many ways, you know, um, through the education system I was part of. So worth hearing and it varies and the, the it talks about the close which was the which was the playing fields at my school uh when i was a kid it's, but it's a poem by uh what's his name henry newbolt there's a breathless hush in the close tonight 10 to make and the match to win a bumping pitch and a blinding light an hour to play and the last man in and it's not for the sake of a ribboned coat or the selfish hope of a season's fame, but his captain's hand on his shoulder smote. Play up, play up, and play the game. The sand of the desert is sodden red, red with the wreck of a square that broke. The gatlings jammed and the colonels dead, and the regiment blind with dust and smoke. The river of death has brimmed his banks, and England's far and honoured a name, but the voice of a schoolboy rallies the ranks. Play up, play up, and play the game. This is the word that year by year, while in her place the school is set, every one of her sons must hear, and none that hears it dare forget. This they all with a joyful mind bear through life like a torch in flame, and falling fling to the host behind. Play up, play up. And play the game. Whoa. Whew, boarding school, right? Yeah. Man. <laughs> Shake that one <laughs> off. Give us a tune, Tuesday. Come on. <laughs> Turn this thing around. Well, I mean, my my tune is not, um, it's uh, infinitely hopeful. So I recently was in Minnesota. And I've said before on this podcast that I am, like, Prince is my favorite artist of all time. Just, I mean, just, and so recently in Minnesota, I went- We've had some prints before, we but we always welcome well, more that, that's You're getting more because I was just at Paisley Park <laughs> and I'm back on fire about him. And so um, just, you know, um, 
realizing how very important he was in my life as a person who just was who he was, right? Like just who he was. Mm. And so that's why I wanted to bring him in here. And he has this song, and I think this song was released in the early early 80s. So it's like super old, but it's called Free, just a print song called Free. And then he re-released it um, in 2002, which is still almost 20 years ago. Oh my gosh. Um, on this album called One Night Alone Live. So it's him doing it live. And the song is free. And that would have been 30 years after he originally released it. So it's just like this song that those of us who love him, it's just like an iconic song. And he's talking about being free. So, and he, I mean, what? He probably wrote it at like, what? Like 19 or something. Um, I love it how our poetry speaks to the label and our song speaks to the liberation. Oh, nice. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That you are free. place to end that's the place to end all right all right friend so that's it for this episode of finding outside the podcast make sure to subscribe to the podcast and apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you find podcasts new episodes of the podcast are available every second tuesday if you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com you can find the links to any of the resources, the poems, books, songs we mentioned during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast or in the description for the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. And you can find the song we played in today's show and every song we've ever played in previous shows <laughs> on the amazingly awesome spe- playlist we've created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlists or you can find the link over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio. And the outrageously awesome theme music for the Find the Outside podcast is by Gary Blakemore. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Take care, friends. Mm-hmm.